0: All right, we are in the book of Ephesians, if you want to turn there. Speaking of the busyness of moving in, well, moving countries, let alone moving home, um, haven't been able to... uh, I'll probably talk with some of the some of the elders here to see what kind of series we can get started, but uh, as for now, I've broken out something that uh, I think Pastor Mike or or even Pastor Brian have uh, at least prayed about uh, occasionally, Uh, and uh, it brought to mind this particular passage. It's from Ephesians chapter 1. How many of you remembered Remembrance Day yesterday? (laughs) A few of you. (laughs) Well, I'd have to say we totally forgot. But uh, I think we can do that all weekend, uh, where we remember those who gave their lives for the freedoms that we have in our country today. And even today, uh, we remember one who gave his life so that we could have the eternal freedoms, the eternal life that we have today, our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, And uh, we are rich in him. And that's what the book of Ephesians is all about. We're going to start with Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 1. We're going to be just reading the first three verses. And you know, in a world today where there is so much upheaval and change and wars and rumors of wars, I'm sure glad that we can sit down and we can hear the eternal Word of God, the eternal, unchangeable Word of God. You know, I even heard that... uh, Uh, a a rumor, I think it's, I I doubt it's true, but I heard a rumor that Finland was closing its borders. And that would be sad if that was true because then no one would be able to cross the finish line. (laughs) But we'll hear from the Word of God today. And uh, as we read the first three verses, uh, it'll kind of set the tone for everything we're going to talk about today. So we'll start with chapter 1. And verse 1, I'll be reading from the New King James. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Let's pray, and ask the Lord's blessing on his word. Lord, thank you again for your word today, which is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. And again, we say, and we thank you, Lord, in the midst of an ever-changing world, we have a never-changing word from you. So, Lord, help us to take heed to it. Give us open ears, open hearts to receive what you have for us this morning. And, Lord, may we hear it, Uh, may we heed it. Lord, may we live it out in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Guinness Book of World Records lists Hetty Green as the world's greatest miser. She was called the Witch of Wall Street. She was considered the greatest miser of all time. She was born in 1834... And in 1865, her father died and left her $5 million, which by today's standards would be over $80 million. And she was one of the richest men in the world at the age of 30. She used that money to invest in civil war bonds and stocks of all kinds, and she was known for, sell, uh, for buying low and for selling high. She was known for being really tough, and she died in 1960, 1916, and she was worth $200 million when she died, which in effect in today's dollars would be worth over $4 billion. She was one of the wealthiest women in all of history. She had taken her $5 million and she'd, made, she'd invested it and made $200 million during her lifetime. But here's what's also true of her. She only ate cold cereal because she was too cheap to heat up the water for the oatmeal in the morning. She never washed her clothes because she didn't want to pay for the soap. And this is, this is, a, this is rumored. It could be true, could not be true, I don't know. But the rumor was, uh, the story goes, when, she, when her son broke her leg... She pretended that she was a poor person and went to the hospital and tried to get free medical care for her son. And then one of the doctors there recognized who she was and said, oh no, you're, you're paying just like everyone else. And so she went from hospital to hospital to hospital trying to get free care for her son. And eventually he had to have his leg amputated because she refused to pay for medical treatment for her son who had broken her leg, his leg. She was noted for all her miserliness And eventually she died at a relatively young age, primarily because she refused to spend the money to take care of herself. And when you look at her life, you say, what a tragedy. What a tragedy. She was worth $200 million and never once seemed to enjoy it all. She made her son live all his life with an amputated leg uh, because she just refused to pay for medical attention for him. What a tragedy. What a tragedy to be so rich and yet live like you're in poverty. If you can relate to that, you can relate to the book of Ephesians. Because when you go to the book of Ephesians, the the apostle Paul is trying to tell us how rich we really are. What a tragedy it would be to have a heady green in this auditorium this morning, in spite of the fact that you're extremely wealthy and extremely rich in Jesus Christ, that you live like you're in poverty. But you know what's even a greater tragedy is is to have all that wealth and not know you even have it. As you read the book of Ephesians, Paul is trying to tell the church there at Ephesus and probably the whole region there in Asia Minor, and of course, you and me, that they were indeed wealthy. But maybe you don't realize today how wealthy you are in Christ. Maybe you don't have a sense of the reality of how much you're worth. Maybe you do, but you still live like a pauper instead of living like a child of the king. And when we come to the introduction of this book, uh, Ephesians chapter 1, just just in those opening words there, you're immediately exposed to something that's going to drive you to this theme. Now there's no doctrinal position that's uh, trying to be established in this book, and yet as you read through the book of Ephesians, uh, there's almost every doctrinal position, every doctrinal statement is made. It'll talk about redemption and reconciliation and forgiveness. It'll talk about election. It'll talk about the church. It'll talk about life in the home. And it goes on and on. It deals almost with every doctrine there is, but that's not its intention. Its intention is to show the purpose of God through Jesus Christ in the church of Jesus Christ. In other words, the eternal purpose of God through His Son the Lord Jesus Christ, in those who are part of him in the church of Jesus Christ. And as you read it, you quickly get a sense of how rich you really are. And you'll notice he begins in verse 1 by saying this, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. And I know he probably starts just about every book he writes, Uh, With that statement, uh, or a statement almost like that, in some ways, that's just him saying who he is and uh, and what's true about him. But if you would think just for a moment here, uh, what you would recognize that what he's really trying to communicate here is not necessarily who he is, in a sense, but really what God has done for him. And so we come to point number one. Y'all have an outline. They may not have an outline. You can raise your hand. We can get one to you. Roman numeral number one, what God has done, what God does, what God does. And it's amazing what God did for this person whom we now call Paul. You know, that wasn't always his name. Remember his original name? It was Saul, and Saul became Paul. You can read in the book of Acts, especially in chapter 7 and chapter 8 of Acts, where they're they're wreaking havoc with the church. And this man by the name of Saul, he's running all over the place, trying to persecute and even kill Christians who who stood for the name of Jesus Christ. And then in Acts chapter 9 and Acts chapter 22 and Acts 26, we see one of the greatest testimonies of all time because God was able to take the chief of sinners, we find that in 1 Timothy 1, verse 12, the chief of sinners, and created in him a changed person. He took a Saul and he made him a Paul. Just like the song says, what a wonderful change in my heart has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. You know, I think Paul would sing that song along with us this morning if we sang it. Because he introduces himself to the audience there in Ephesus and to the region there and to us, and he says, I I want you to know that God does great works in the lives of people. What does God do? Well, letter A, he changes people. He changes people. He takes Saul's and he makes them Paul's. But maybe you haven't thought about that. Maybe that's not true in your life. Maybe you've never had that moment in your life when you've personally trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you who were a Saul suddenly became a new creation in Jesus Christ. You, know, you were born again. Old things were passed away. All things became new. The Saul became the Paul. He became a changed person. God did a wonderful work in your life. Well, you know, he did a wonderful work in Paul's life, and he made him a changed person. Person. And beyond that, notice that Paul says here, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. He's not only saying, well, you ought to see what God did in my life. He changed me. But he's also saying, you'll never believe what he did to this changed person. Let her be, he commissioned me. God commissions people. You know that word apostle. Which was used in the sense really to refer to the 12 who uh, the Lord Jesus picked, who were apostles of Jesus Christ in that unique sense. Uh, It's also the word that's used of saints uh, all over that are found in the scriptures. In another sense, we've been commissioned or we've been sent out. Perhaps it would be easier to translate it this way Uh, I am an ambassador. An ambassador, one who's been empowered with authority, empowered with a task, empowered for something that he's supposed to have been sent out by the Lord Jesus Christ to do. And Paul says, I'm an ambassador, I'm an apostle, one who is sent by the will of God. In other words, it wasn't men who sent me, right? It wasn't men who sent me out to do this great work. It wasn't any personal initiative on my part that drove me to go forth and do this, that sent me forth. No, it was the will of God for me. And he says, I want to tell you before I begin speaking to you about what you need to hear. He says, I want to tell you how God changed me and then he commissioned me. God has a commission. God has a use for each and every one of us. Let's go for a moment to 1 Timothy. Put your finger in there. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Now, you, have memorized, you may have memorized these verses as well, but 1 Timothy 1 and chapter 12, where the Apostle Paul hits this truth again. And he says in 1 Timothy 1, 12, these words. And I'll read, the, I'll read a few verses here. And I thank Jesus Christ our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. He says, you wouldn't believe what God did for me. He changed me. And then he commissioned me to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. He says, I just want to start by reflecting on what God does, what God did for me, what God can do for you, hopefully what he has done for you. And remember also in 1 Timothy chapter 1, he talks about himself being the chief of sinners, which I don't think he would have said if it wasn't true. You know, of all humanity that has ever lived, God took the greatest of all those sinners and he saved him and he changed him. And then he sent him out to be an apostle, to be an ambassador for the Lord Jesus Christ to those who needed to hear that message. The gospel. It's amazing what God does in the hearts and the minds of people. And Paul says, I just want you to know that. And hopefully you and I, as we read this epistle here, will sense that God has done a great thing in our lives if we've trusted Him. He's changed us, and He's commissioned us as well to go out and reach our world for Christ. Well, it's not just what God does. As you read on in verse 1, He says this, "...to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus." So it's not just what God does, but it's also what God produces in us. What God produces. And he wants to remind them. He wants to tell them uh, what they really are, who they really are. Because sometimes we forget. Sometimes we forget who we really are. We forget what God has produced in our lives. And there are two statements here I want you to see. They were saints, yes. Yes. And they were faithful in Christ Jesus. When you read about saints, you understand the word saint really means to be uh, one who is set apart, one who is different, one who is distinct from this world. So they were set apart and they were distinct in Ephesus. Think about the city of Ephesus. You know, you you, you think about the establishment of the church there in Ephesus in the book of Acts. You read Acts chapter 18, Paul. In his second missionary journey, he comes back from Athens, and he takes a ship, and it lands, as almost every ship does, it lands in Ephesus there, uh, and he left Priscilla and Aquila there in Ephesus, and he kept uh, right on going, uh, right back to the church there in Antioch of Syria, but he would come back there again on his third missionary journey, which is recorded for us in the Acts chapter 19. And then, it was then he would establish the church there in Ephesus. And what a church it was. You know, it had some great preachers, right? They had Paul, they had Apollos, they had Timothy, and they were known for their passion for the Lord. It was the church of Ephesus who would take all of their books that they had on magic and the occult, and they would build a great big fire, and they would burn those books in the fire in the presence of all the people. And as you you read this, you recognize that God did a wonderful, wonderful work in the lives of those at Ephesus, people who were prone towards evil. Ephesus was not a great city. Ephesus was known for its immorality, for its intoxication. It was known as as an asylum for criminals, actually. If you were a criminal, if you wanted to hide out, you went to Ephesus, right, because Uh, It was such a bad city that you wouldn't even stand out. You know, they'd let you live no matter what kind of criminal you were. It was known for its prostitution and all these other things, its idolatry uh, that went on. And in that city, God did a great work, and He called out for Himself a group of people who were called the Church of Ephesus. They were saints. They were set apart. They were different In fact, part of the theme of the book of Ephesus, as you read through it, will be this one word, walk. Seven times in the book of Ephesus, you see this word, walk. And he'll say to them, you know what God did for you? He made you different. You're different from the other Gentiles. You're different from the people of your city. You don't dress like they dress. You don't talk like they talk. You don't act like they they act. You don't live like they live. You walk in love. You walk in wisdom. You walk differently than them. And he says, I want you to know, I want you to know what God does. He takes a guy like Saul, and he makes him a Paul. And he commissions him to be an apostle. And I want you to know what God can produce. In the worst city in Asia Minor, with all of its wealth, with all of its intoxication and its idolatry, all of its immorality, all of that going on, he can save a group of people and make them saints. In fact, as you read the word saint as it's found here in Ephesus, he'll use that word about seven times in the book of Ephesus. And it always refers to people who've come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. And you know, sometimes we think saints are this, you know, this select group of people that the church has kind of set aside as very, very special people, and we kind of reverence them. Well, that's not it, right? But in reality, everyone who has been saved, everyone who has trusted the Lord Jesus Christ is a saint. In fact, as we go through chapter 1, we'll see it here. We see it in verse 1, even, to the saints who are in Ephesus. We see it in verse 15, if you want to look down to verse 15. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints. And again, at the end of verse 18, he says this, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And If you go to chapter 2, you can read verse 19. And you'll pick up that word again. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And you could go to chapter 3 and verse 18. You could go to chapter 4, and he'll he'll talk about saints. You go to chapter 5, and he'll talk about saints. You can go to chapter 6, and he'll talk about saints. And he reminds them, you are saints in the middle of a cesspool. You are saints in the middle of the city of Ephesus. And God has produced something very special in your lives. He made you saints in Ephesus. God produces saints. Notice as well in chapter 1, in verse 1. We'll go back there. To the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. See, it's one thing to be saved And one of the things he's going to do throughout the book of Ephesus here is to to show you that your belief determines your behavior. Your behavior is determined by your, your beliefs, so you need to have those correct. And what you have become is what you become. And so I cannot say, I cannot say I'm a saint, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, I've trusted him as my Savior, but I live like the devil. You cannot say that. You can't do that, and he'll show you that in this book, and somehow when you become a saint, another thing that God produces in your life is faithfulness. He produces faithfulness, and that faithfulness is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you read the word faithful, it might mean in one sense that they found faith in Christ. You know, they've trusted Him for their salvation, but more than likely, that's not the concept that's being communicated here. In fact, that's not the way it's translated here. It means not that we have faith in Christ, but we are faithful in Christ. That their lives are different. They are faithful They're they're faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ, only he doesn't say they're faithful to Christ Jesus, right? He says they're faithful in Christ Jesus, which which is another phrase, really, that's found 15 times in the book of Ephesus. They're in Christ, and therefore, they've become faithful. They know the, the, the truth of God's Word, and they live according to the truth of God's Word. And they're faithful to Jesus Christ. They're faithful to God. They're faithful in many ways. It doesn't mean they're perfect. They're faithful. He says, I want you to know what God does. He can change and commission even the chief of sinners. I want you to know what God can produce. God can produce saints, In the middle of a cesspool. He can produce faithfulness because they're found in Jesus Christ. And that's the core of their being, that's the foundation of their life and living. But primarily, what he wants to communicate to you and to me in this book is not, it's not just what God does. And it's not just what God produces, but number three, it's what God gives. It's what God gives to us. And he begins in verse 3 with this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. In fact, I, I think it would be a good thing if we memorized this verse this week. Would you do that? Memorize this verse this week. Let's go through it. Can you read it with me? We'll Well, read it, read it with me here, okay? Verse three, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Hey, memorize that this week. I think it's a great verse. And, and we have a God who has given us great riches. It's not just what he does, it's not just what he produces, but it's what he gives. And he gives to you and to me, These things. In fact, the theme of the book of Ephesians is the riches that are found in Jesus Christ. But he begins that verse with that word blessed. Blessed. In the New Testament, the only one to be blessed is God Himself, right? I mean, the only one you're allowed to bless is God. God Himself. You know, the word blessed means to either say or or do something that benefits or promotes or lifts up someone. Uh, an individual. And the only one in all the universe that we are really to bless is God himself, because he alone is worthy of that blessing. He's the one who's given us all that we have. He's the one that's given us all that we need and all that we are. And therefore, he is the one we're to lift up with our words and with our actions. And he says, "'Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ.'" And he wants you and me to be involved in that, in our lives. Now, as you read this passage, you realize he's going to, what he's trying to get across here, and what he'll develop here in the rest of the book, are these spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. Have you ever stopped to list, maybe on a piece of paper, have you ever stopped to list all the blessings that we have in Jesus Christ? Probably take you a lifetime. We don't have time to do it here today. We'll, we, we might go through a few, but that's it. Probably be a good thing to do that. But you know what we have in Christ? You'll notice in verse 3 that it's every spiritual blessing. Every one. There's not one that you're lacking. And he wants you to know that. You know, sometimes as we walk through life, we think, boy, I wish, what she, I, wish I had what she had or he had. Now, I wish I had that over there. Like, there's something lacking in my spiritual life that I need. Well, there's not. And he says, that's not true. God has blessed you with every spiritual blessing. Not material blessings, per se. And, of course, God has blessed us with many physical things. Many, he's given us many physical blessings, But that's not what he's talking about. He's also given us spiritual blessings. And we have every one of those spiritual blessings that we need. And you and I should understand not only what God does and what God produces, but what God gives. He gives us every spiritual blessing. I lack absolutely nothing in the spiritual realm for my life and living. In fact, you just pick up on the word riches. And we'll just try that today. We'll just pick up on the word riches in the book of Ephesians. You'll recognize how rich we really are. Let's look at chapter 1 and verse 7. Chapter 1 and verse 7. Because he says this, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. So you understand that in Jesus Christ we have the riches of his grace. The unmerited favor of God in, my, in your heart and life and in my heart and life. And because of that, I have redemption. Because of that, I've been redeemed through the blood of Jesus Christ. The penalty has been paid. I've been forgiven of my sins. And it's all according to the riches of His grace. So I have the riches of His grace in my life. Look at chapter 1 and verse 18. Verse 18, where the word riches is found again. He says, The eyes of your understanding be enlightened, being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of His glory, of His inheritance in the saints. So we not only have the riches of His grace but now all of His unmerited favor in our lives that resulted in in, uh, redemption and forgiveness and all those other things, but now we have the riches of His glory. The riches of His glory. And there's a sense in which that is already true in our lives, but there's also a sense in which uh, that's coming down the pike as well. And Paul says, or uh, the the author of Romans says, for I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to compare... Uh, to be compared with the glory which will be revealed in us. It's Romans 8 and verse 18. There's coming a day when we'll fully share in the riches of His grace, in the riches of His glory. And what a glory He has. And You can read about it in so many places, especially in the book of Revelation, chapters 4 and chapter 5. Read those. Chapter 2 and verse 4 talks about riches again. It says this, but God who is rich in mercy. Remember in uh, in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 2, he'll talk about us walking according to the course of this world and some other things. And we were dead in our trespasses and sins. But God saved us. That was true of us. Before uh, that was true of us before God saved us. But here he says But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and uh, trespasses, made us alive together uh, with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So we have the riches of his grace, we have the riches of his glory, and now we have the riches of his mercy. The riches of his mercy. And, but, uh, and, and uh, because of his mercy, you know, mercy means that I don't get what I deserve. You know, I'm, uh, I, I'm in misery. And I deserve to be in misery. And because of Christ's mercy, because of God's mercy, he reaches out to me. And according to chapter 2 and verse 4, we share in the riches of his mercy because of his great love. And then you could read as well chapter 3 and verse 8. These words. To me, who am less than the least of all saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. He says to you and to me today, I just want you to be aware of what I've found in Jesus Christ. We have the riches of His Son. The riches of His Son. That's what we have in Jesus Christ. So you know what he does? He takes Saul's and he makes them Paul's. He changes them and he commissions them to go out and to reach his world with the gospel. And you know what he produces? In the worst place in the world, he can produce saints, set apart people who walk and talk and act and live differently than the world around them. He can produce saints who burn all their books and who stand for the Lord Jesus Christ, who are thrown into prison and even executed, give their lives if if need be for the Lord Jesus Christ. So he produces saints, those who are faithful, who are found in Jesus Christ. You know what he gives? He gives us every spiritual blessing. If we go back to chapter 1 and verse 3, Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And again, you find that phrase, in the heavenly places, five times actually in the book of Exodus, uh, in the book of Ephesians, sorry. And the truth is we, we have to look beyond, what the, uh, uh, beyond the world in which we live in. We have to look to where Jesus Christ is. You now, if I were to ask you today, where is Jesus Christ? I suppose we'd all come up with the same answer, right? He's in heaven. He's sitting at the right hand of God the Father. Now, if Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of God the Father and you are in Christ, where are you? Right? Now, it doesn't feel like I'm sitting at the right hand of God in Christ. And in one sense, I'm really not. But in another sense, that's very real. In another sense, I'm seated in Christ, and therefore I am in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And God has given to you and to me tremendous riches in Christ. If you go back to chapter 2 of Ephesians, chapter 2 and verses 7 through 9, there's one last illustration of riches that I'd like to point out. Verse 7 of chapter 2. And it says this, that in the ages to come, He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So the riches of God's grace are this. that you don't have to work for it. You don't have to work for, you don't have to earn your salvation, you don't have to work or earn eternal life. There's not something that you have to do or you can do or you should do in order to gain eternal life, in order to be saved. It's by grace that we've been saved. It is a gift of God. All that we need is faith. We need to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and in Him alone and believe that He died for our sins in that and that alone. And I trust as you read the book of Ephesians, and hopefully you'll see the riches that we have in Jesus Christ. How rich we are. How rich we are. And if you're here today and you don't know that, or maybe you've never trusted in Jesus Christ. It's our prayer that you'll believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and find this hope and find this great peace, this amazing grace of God. But if you are saved, do you know? Do you know how rich you are? What a tragedy it would be to be a heady green this morning, to live like a pauper when we are a child of the king because we know that we have all these riches in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the encouragement it is to us. We thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ, in whom we have every spiritual blessing. So, Lord, I pray that each and every person in this auditorium this morning has trusted you. Lord, who is an inheritor, uh, a... uh, a person who has all these eternal blessings that you pour upon your children. But Lord, I pray if not, that today would be the day that they would trust you and earn that, the riches of your grace, the riches of your mercy. So Lord, uh, be with us today. Help us to take this word and to meditate it on, it, on it even this week. Lord, bless our day. Bless our week as we go out into the world and we share that amazing gospel with those that we come across even this week. In Jesus' name, amen.